Today we continue to work our way through the book of Lamentations as we deal with the subject of godly grieving. This morning we are looking at chapter 4. Last week, chapter 3 reminded us that when all hope is gone, we must hope in God and the good news of Jesus Christ that he gives us. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. He keeps steadfast love for thousands and forgives wickedness, transgression, and sin, and will by no means clear the guilty. This good news must stir you to hope in Christ, no matter how painful and difficult your circumstances might be. In chapter 4, we are reminded of the last part of the description just given. The Lord will by no means clear the guilty. The Lord chastises rebellion severely when you don't repent. Rebelling against the Lord never produces pleasant results. Sin's pleasures really are fleeting and never worth the energy you invest to enjoy them. Chapter 4 highlights the horrific results brought by God against his people for their relentless, unrepentant rebellion. Therefore, you see the necessity immediately as you read chapter 4 for daily turning to God through Jesus and turning away from sin because the Lord is gracious and merciful and slow to anger, there's no reason to exploit his favor, but as a motivation to remain pure and devoted to him, no matter what. Let's read chapter 4, Lamentations chapter 4. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed, the holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast, they nurse their young. But the daughter of my people has become cruel like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger. 
who wasted away, pierced by lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried to them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed, ever watching, vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish, he will uncover your sins. The first 16 verses of chapter 4 show how Jesus was dishonored for you to be devoted to God. Verses 17 through 20 show how Jesus was deserted for you to be dependent on God. And verses 21 and 22 show how Jesus will defeat all who dishonor you. The Bible is a book about Jesus Christ, and we know that this passage historically is about Judah, but it points ahead to our Savior, and we'll see that as we work our way through. But the application comes to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that is why we list him in the points of the sermon. This is what Israel's rebellion brought her. If you look at the first couple of verses, and it is what our rebellion brought Jesus. Israel is seen as sacred, holy, or sanctuary stones like those worn by the priest on his breastplate and on his shoulders. At this time, it says 
that they were scattered in the streets. They were considered useless. And that is what rebellion makes you useless. When the salt loses its taste, it is no longer good for anything, Jesus says, but to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. Sin makes you useless. So there is a need to repent. There's a need not to lose your taste or not to lose your shine, keeping with the imagery of gold that has lost its luster. God has made you light so that through you people may see his beauty, his glory, and repent of sin and come to him. But in these first couple of verses, Judah had lost and become dim. They lost their shine, their luster. They were like pure gold. They were like precious jewelry, these precious sons of Zion. But verse 2 tells us the story of how pure gold and precious jewels had lost their value and are esteemed no more than dollar store pottery. There is no one more precious. There is no one more valuable than Jesus. And yet when he came to earth to die for sin and bear your punishment, though he was the living stone chosen by God and precious in his sight, he was despised and rejected by men. His splendor was ignored when he was wounded, shamed, blamed, humiliated, and treated like a worthless criminal. And yet he has become the chosen cornerstone in Zion. And all who believe in him, in Jesus, will never be put to shame. At the time of the exile, <clears throat> these verses testify in verses 3 and 4. You see how, how jackals, which are known to be very cruel animals, and ostriches are known to be uh, very unwise, very dumb mothers. They lay eggs and walk all over top of them and don't care for their young. And at the time of the exile, uh, these particular verses, verses 3 through uh, 4, um, testify how cruel animals were better caretakers of their young than the parents of Judean children. Like in our day, many women think being able to neglect, walk away from, abandon, and even kill their children gives them equal standing with men. Today, like then, loving the most vulnerable in our society has grown cold. The author again highlights how Judah treated the unborn, just born, the children who were hungry and thirsty. They didn't give them anything. What will you do to protect these same vulnerable members in our society? However you look at things, God judges our society based on how we treat the most vulnerable within that society. We've heard about this for several weeks, and some may be tired of hearing about it, but God keeps repeating himself. 
for a reason. Verses 3 and 4 should also remind us how history so often repeats itself. How Herod and all Jerusalem were troubled when they heard that the Messiah had been born, the king of the Jews had been born in Bethlehem. They should have rejoiced and sought to serve the king, but instead Herod sought to murder him. And without mercy, he murdered all the children in Bethlehem and its surrounding cities who were two years old and under in order to secure his place of prominence. Our devotion to Christ is what stirs us to be devoted to the weak, to the children, to the vulnerable among us. And we must pursue that kind of devotion for Jesus and that kind of devotion for those who are weak in our society those who are vulnerable in our society. Jesus came as the bread of life, the very manna of heaven, to feed us with himself, spiritual food to sustain us and enable us to live in communion with God. But we rejected him and made him like these children, made him thirst for vinegar, and nothing, no bread was given to Jesus to sustain him when he was crucified. Just like these children in verse 4 were given nothing. We treated Jesus the same way. We must be devoted to him. And through him learn to be devoted to one another. In verses 5 of our text, Judah lost their riches because of their rebellion. And in our wealth... Your wealth is not secure when you place it above God's kingdom and his righteousness. It is when we first seek to experience and witness in, in, in your life and in the lives of others the kingdom of God, the rule of God, and the righteousness of God that your needs become guaranteed. You are called to work in order to have and in order to give to those in need, according to Ephesians 4. Jesus willingly gave up his riches in order to enrich you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms and every blessing for your enjoyment. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And we are called to the same sort of lifestyle, to work in order to have, in order to give to those in need. Not under compulsion by a government, but out of the goodness of our heart, put there by Jesus Christ, put there by the power of the Holy Spirit who glorifies Christ to us and moves us and stirs us to give and to share out of love. In verse 6, we see that Judas is chastised. And the chastisement of Judah, it is said, is greater than that of Sodom. And it is because Sodom 
was destroyed in a day, whereas Judah's suffering was long and drawn out for years. The first campaigns against Judah took place in 605 B.C. and continued on for several years before the temple itself was burnt down and Jerusalem and its inhabitants were enslaved and exiled. And so Sodom even had it better than Judah. And Sodom was destroyed. It, it pays to remind ourselves Sodom was destroyed because um, the people there were arrogant. They were well-fed. They were idle. They were lazy. They just wanted to sit around and enjoy their wealth. And they didn't care about the poor and the needy around them. And today, so often, we are no different. We want, uh, in our case, the government to lead the country in loving the poor and needy. When the church is actually called to lead everyone, including the civil government, to love others in need. We want the government to do everything while we sit back and enjoy the fruits of our labor. This was Sodom's sin and the reason for being destroyed. As great as Judah's chastisement was, we should be careful and think about our own lives. That we are called to lead all people. The church is called to lead in loving our neighbors the way we love ourselves. It begins in the church. And the church is supposed to let that light shine outside of itself. We are called to love those in need. So much so that the government itself will rise up and look at the church and say, we want to learn from God's people how to live the way they do. Judah's chastisement was great, and yet no punishment is matched by what Jesus received on Calvary. Unlike all others, Jesus became sin, and Jesus was cursed by God so that, so that there would never, ever be any condemnation for you. That's a reason to rejoice. That's a reason to share that joy with others. Judah, it is said in verses 7 and 8, was God's pure nation. And her beauty became defaced during the exile. She became defiled, guilty, weak, and as good as dead. That's the imagery of her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk, and then their faces were blacker than soot. It's a reference to being pure and then being guilty, being put to shame. And you are no different. Rebellion against the Lord brings guilt and shame. And your bright countenance, just like Cain's countenance, fell when he sinned against God. 
your countenance also becomes darkened with guilt. King David learned that even your health and well-being are crushed when sin is unconfessed and you are unrepentant. No one was ever purer than Christ. There is no one who was more splendid and beautiful than he was. But when Jesus came to earth, and especially when he was crucified, he was so marred in his appearance. The Bible says it was beyond human semblance. He didn't even look human. His form was beyond that of the children of mankind. Jesus, like Judah in verses 7 and 8, lost all his outward beauty when he suffered and died. He who knew no sin became sin. He bore our guilt, our shame, and blame. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was as one from whom men hide their faces. We see in verse 9 um, that there is an interesting and ir irony of, of being happier and being blessed to immediately die in such dire circumstances as when Nebuchadnezzar took over Judah. Jesus, um, he suffered long on the cross. Crucifixion was by no means instantaneous death, but a cruel, drawn-out, slow, and painful, torturous death. And Judah experienced this in their day. They experienced death by starvation. They desired to die quickly, but Nebuchadnezzar's methods were to seize the produce and starve his captives who would not submit to being exiled. In, in verses 3 and 4, we saw how unloving the daughters of Zion were towards their children. Here in verse 10, we see that lack of love grow even greater and more grotesque. The most merciful and compassionate women, it says, they boiled their children and ate them for lack of food. This action was unfortunately repeated again during the Roman siege in A.D. 70. And for the same reason, Israel here and Israel then had rejected their king. Jesus was consumed by wrath and swallowed by death without compassion when he was crucified. But praise the Lord, he was released from death as Jonah was spewed out of the fish's mouth. We must lead the way in love. How many vulnerable children, and again here, children come up again because the nations and societies are judged by God based on how they handle the most vulnerable members in their society. How many vulnerable children have been murdered and consumed on our watch? So we must live in love instead of living for convenience. Most children are aborted because of inconvenience. Our comforts are not to be gained on the graves of others. Chinese mothers found relief 
that their daughters could be sex trafficked in order to avoid abortion. What a sad reality, a sad day when they are the only two options visible. What kind of sacrifices are you willing to make so the next generation can live in peace? Or will you allow the present crisis to lead you to panic and look out only for yourselves? This kind of cannibalism spoken of in verse 10 was a product of God's wrath because of Judah's sin. It was prophesied in in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. And it should speak to you as well, as we still see today God's wrath revealed on earth against everyone who suppresses the obvious truth of God's right to rule in order to sinfully and foolishly assert their supposed right to rule themselves. God has poured out his wrath, and we see that in verse 11. And in verse 12, no nation in Judah's day would ever have believed that anyone could ever enter the gates of Jerusalem, the city of the great king. Jerusalem was anointed by God, but yet in this day, because of rebellion, God caused those gates in Jerusalem to come down. We saw that early on in the book of Lamentations, how those gates were buried and the subjects of God were captured. We see in light of Christ how the people of God could never accept or believe the Messiah could come out of Galilee. And of course, in their mind, he could never suffer crucifixion. Yet the cross was God's way of restoration, the way of dealing with and burying our sin once for all. The son, the owner, the chief resident of Jerusalem and the temple must be thrown out and humiliated for those stripped by sin to be clothed with righteousness and crowned with glory and honor. Today, many believe America is unbreakable, but if God's people don't repent, if God's people don't pray, America will fall too, and all of the precious freedoms, just like vapor, will fade away. In verses 13 through 16 of chapter 4, we see the failure of Eli and his sons repeated. The Lord says it is the leaders, it's the prophets, it's the priests, and eventually we'll see it's the kings who failed to tell Judah of her sins and walk faithfully. And so they, the holy ones, become, as it says in these verses, verses 13 through 16, particularly verse 15, the prophet, the priest, they became like lepers, untouchable. The holy ones became like unclean ones, defiled ones. They were scattered by the Lord himself. Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king, innocent, holy, harmless, and undefiled. But on the cross, he became sin, like an unclean garment. But whereas our sins take us away, he on the cross took our sins away and buried them in the depths of the sea and treaded them all underfoot. In contrast to verse 16, Jesus now 
has the highest honor. He was dishonored. His head was dishonored, but now he has received the highest honor, just like those priests and prophets of old who were anointed and honored by God. God told Eli about his sons that he would no longer honor them because of their immoralities and their despising and disregarding his holy ways. And so Israel and Judah here in exile would no longer be honored by God. Jesus was dishonored, but here we know that Jesus has received the highest honor so that every knee and every place must bow to him and every tongue and every place must confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. We must pray diligently for our own leaders to be holy, faithful, and devoted to the Lord. I often see the work of a pastor or elder as the most important job there is because the church is the light of the world, without which all nations walk in darkness. And yet pastors and elders are called to lead, feed, equip, and shepherd that light, that it might shine on the earth, and it might make a way for the earth to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, just like the waters cover the sea. The church is God's headquarters on earth, and the leaders of those churches are placed in positions to lead that light to shine. So you must pray daily and diligently for your pastors and elders and all who serve in these roles. I consider church members who don't daily pray for their pastors to not be upholding the vows they took when they became members. They're failing their church by not praying for its leaders on a daily basis. In the same way, leaders are called to pray for their parishioners on a daily basis. In verses 17 and 19, Judah looked for help from Egypt. That's the nation more than likely referred to in these verses. They looked for help from anyone who would aid them against Babylon. But no help came because their time had come. There was no hiding place from God's justice against rebellion. And there is no hiding place for the sinner except in Jesus Christ. When Jesus was crucified, he did not look to Israel. He did not look to Rome. He didn't look to anyone to save him. But he looked to his Father in heaven to save him. His prayers were heard and he was saved because of his reverent submission. Like Christ, we cannot look to any nation, not even America, to bring salvation. We must be people of prayer who respond to God's grace and glory with Christ-like reverent submission and rely on our Father alone to hear our prayers, forgive our sins, and bring healing to this earth. He's the only one who can do it. In verse 20, we read how the Lord's anointed, who was seen by Judah as the one through whom the Lord worked to sustain and give life to his people, that this one was captured. And we know from history that this was King Zedekiah. And the sad tale of his life, his history, was that his sons and his subjects were killed before his eyes and then his own eyes were put out. It was the last thing he saw. And he was 
bound in bronze and taken into exile. Our Savior Jesus Christ, He is the true anointed one. He is the Lord and He was captured. He was arrested only to be paraded through the streets, stripped and crucified. And He was the author of life who was under the dominion of death. But He's the one who stripped death, who stripped Satan and stripped the grave of their power and triumphed over all of them so that you might be anointed by God, that you might be dwelling among the nations as you are indwelt by God, and that you might speak words of life to those in, under the shadow of death that they might know the true Savior, Jesus Christ. In verses 21 and 22, they tell Edom, God tells Edom to rejoice while you can over Judah's defeat. It's the ultimate insult that Edom, of all nations, would rejoice over Judah's demise. Remember how Jacob deceitfully robbed Esau of his blessing and of his birthright. And how Esau cried and cried but found no place of repentance and now the table has turned. It is the descendants of Jacob, Judah, who are being robbed, who are being taken by Nebuchadnezzar and it's Edom who is aiding Nebuchadnezzar and pointing out where, where the Judeans are hiding and they rejoice that finally Judah has fallen. And God says to them, rejoice while you can, but ultimately you will be punished too because of the way they treated Jacob. Verse 22 testifies to Judah that there's a glimmer of hope a flicker of light in this dark hour. Verse 22 testifies to Judah that her punishment is accomplished. She will not be exiled. She will be brought back. And you cannot read this without remembering Jesus' cry from Calvary. It is finished. The debt owed by you for your sin, the wage of eternal death has been paid by Christ in full and you are free. You can return from the places that sin has taken you. You can return to your God and find refuge and rest in Him. Your Lord and God has your best interest in heart, and He is for you forever, and none can successfully stand against you. Praise Him for His unspeakable, breathtaking, indescribable, gift, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will maintain you. You don't have to fight your own battles. No weapon that's formed against you will ever triumph because God is for you and none can be against you. His love is given to you and nothing can separate you from it. All of those who stand opposed, God himself, will take vengeance on them. 
praise his holy name. God bless you and keep you.